Uh, we're going to be in Colossians 1, uh, starting in verses, uh, let's do 24 through 28. So if you want to follow along on the screen, you can, or if you want to, uh, to read in your Bibles. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to sit together around your word and around your table. And we invite you. Come and speak among your people by your spirit. We're not just here to, uh, to consume information, Lord. We're not just here to learn facts, God. We long just to hear the whisper of your spirit and to be changed in the hearing of your word, God. And we ask that you would do that. And you'd make us new. That you continue to fashion us into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. So for those of you who uh, maybe haven't been around, um, or for those of you who have been around, just a little bit of a, a recap of, of where we've been uh, in the last few weeks uh, in this series on, on who we are as a church at Mosaic. We began, uh, Jonathan taught on the notion of the via media, right? The middle way, right? How we as a church want to find the middle way of Jesus in a, a polarized culture, right? That is constantly swinging from one end of the spectrum to the other. And instead of just riding the pendulum wherever it goes, we want to find this middle way of Jesus. We want to find truth, the narrow way of Christ in the midst of it, right? And we said we believe that happens in community together. This is how we're following Jesus, not as individuals, but in community together. And we tried to define community a bit more narrowly. We tried to put a finer point on it with the idea of common life, as you see it in Acts 2 and 4. The church is said to have had everything in common. That doesn't mean their personalities were all the same or they dressed the same or they all had the same political views or even the same religious views when they met each other, right? They were Jew and Gentile somehow becoming one. They were being bound together as a diverse and different body somehow being made one. They had everything in common. They shared life in common. But we're not just a community of friends, we said. We're not just a community of people who can easily relate to one another. We're not just a community of people who like one another, right? We're not just a network. We're a community of disciples 
This is why we are community. This is why we come together, because our desire is to become like Jesus. Our desire is to follow Jesus and to take on the very nature of our teacher, Jesus. Last week, Jonathan pointed us toward the centrality, the significance of Scripture in the life of every disciple. If we are to be disciples of Jesus, Scripture is right at the center of it and what that looks like. Our story is tied to that story of redemption that God has been writing, right? This is the reality. Our story is that story. But today, we're kind of bringing it all together, bringing it to a close. Next week, we'll do a little Q&R, Q&A, whatever you want to call it, where we just kind of sit as a community and talk about these things, ask questions, and kind of like consider together what this looks like for us. Uh, but this week is the, the last sermon We're kind of bringing it all together with the overarching sort of meta question of why? Like, what's the point of all of this? What's the purpose of of doing church this way? Why should you follow Jesus in community, seeking this middle way with us, right? Why should you tie your story to the story of Scripture? Why should you decide to live this story What is the actual purpose of all of these things? What is the ends that the church is the means toward, right? What are we moving toward? What is this really all about? Because if you don't understand purpose, then it's hard to to know exactly where you're headed. It's hard to even know how to begin the journey, right? This this, this notion of of purpose is, is really important. And it's something I think we're honestly preoccupied with as a culture. Like we're, we're very concerned about our purpose as individuals. We want to know what our purpose is. We're very interested in the notion of calling. We want to know what we are called to do, what we are supposed to do. And it's an important question for us to ask as a community, not just as individuals. What is purpose for us? And I thought about it earlier this week, actually. I was uh, engaged in one of my favorite old people activities Uh, I was walking to the mailbox to get the mail. And again, normally, there's nothing interesting in the mail. There's nothing good in the mail. Most of it's going to be thrown away. Um, But this time, there was a a gift. It was a catalog, okay, from a company I'm completely unfamiliar with, and I have no idea why they would send this very, very fancy magazine to me uh, because I can't afford anything in it. But thank you, Internet, for giving away my information to any and every company who would like to have it. I get this magazine from a company called Perigold, okay? Perigold. You guys ever heard of this company? I don't know either, okay? So Perigold sends me their holiday issue, right? This is their holiday issue. And on the holiday issue, you see, is this, this really intricately decorated foyer. It's beautiful, right? And at the center is this table. And I look at the table and I'm just like, man, that is beautiful. I don't even know how somebody could make such a thing. Like, I don't know how long you'd have to work with with wood. How long you have to be a carpenter to look at at, at something like this and think, I could do that. Jeremiah, what about you? Like, I'm just like, how do you even begin, right? This is beautiful. It's amazing, right? And so I start, you know, fishing around. Like, who makes this table? How much does this table cost? $21,000. It costs $21,000 for that table. It's because it's amazing, right? Obviously, I'm never going to buy said table. And then I realized that they, they call it dining table. It's a dining table. And I found myself just like, wait a minute, guys. I don't think anybody's going to be dining at this table anytime soon, right? Number one, if you spend $21,000 on a table, you, 
You might not want to sit down. I'm not letting my kids sit down at that table, right? I don't want them to ruin it. I don't want to mess it up, right? I'd be concerned we're going to ruin it somehow, right? Secondly, look at all the pretty things on it. I don't want to move any of those pretty things because I'm not going to be able to put them back in the right place, right? Then there's the absence of chairs. How are we going to dine if there are no chairs? I guess we're going to stand and dine, even if there are chairs. Where do you put the chairs around this table? You can't put any on that end. You can put one on this end, but you can't put any next to it. It's not so much a dining table as like a, a pretty table. Let's just call it what it is. It's pretty table. You can, you can afford to buy the pretty table if you have 21 grand extra in your pocket, right? But then I, I feel like I'm kind of forgetting the um, large, brooding horse lamp in the room. <laughs> that's what I, I thought was so funny about it. It's like the elephant in the room is the horse in the room, right? Like that's what's weird about it. And so it's like you have this full-size replica horse with a lampshade on its head. And it's like, I know that's so cool, cool design. Like, like, these people are so much cooler than I am. But all I could think is like, man, that's not what a horse is for. If I'm going to have a full-size replica horse in my house, it's going to be motorized, right? Like, my kids are going to want to take rides on that horse, right? Like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Horses are not meant to be lamps. You're supposed to be able to, I mean, if you're going to have a full-size replica, you've got to take advantage of it. And all this is used for is just, it's just a lamp. A horse is made to be more than just a lamp, even a replica one. Like a, a dining table can be beautiful, but it should never be so beautiful that it doesn't serve the purpose it was made for, right? It's supposed to be a dining table, but it's so pretty, I, I, I can't really do that. And I got to thinking about church, right? The church is, is beautiful, like, I hope that if you've been around for five weeks, if you've been around for one week, it doesn't matter. I hope that in this series, you see the church as beautiful. That's what we want to communicate. We want you to see the church as good. We want you to understand why we call the church the bride, why Jesus sees it as so precious, the language that he uses, the way we see it talked about throughout Scripture, why it's so precious to him, right? The church is beautiful. It's something we love. It's something we celebrate. But what is its purpose? Why are we doing this? Like, why do we, we get up on a Sunday morning and come to a space like this? What is the purpose of the church, and are we actually pursuing it? Scripture actually has a word for this idea. In, in Greek, it's the word telos. You might have heard this word in, in Greek philosophy, telos. Aristotle used it famously. Plato before him used it. But Aristotle used it a ton. And, and the people that that Paul is writing to in Colossae would have been very familiar with Greek culture and Greek philosophy. So he's taking a word that is very familiar to them and he's using it. He's heard it before uh, from the Old Testament, the Greek translation of it. He knows this word well, but he knows they know it in a different kind of way. Like they think about the philosophers. And what they meant by it was a goal, an end, the ultimate purpose that something is moving toward, that something is made for. What is something's telos means what is its ultimate end, its ultimate purpose, right? And Paul seems to be trying to kind of express like what he thinks the ultimate end he is working toward and that the church as a whole is working toward. What is the telos of the church? What's the goal, the end that the church is moving toward? But in the New Testament, it also has kind of like a, a different meaning, a kind of a more fully orbed meaning. 
more fully formed. In our passage today, you saw it translated as mature, right? His desire is that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, fully telos. You might see perfect in a different translation. You might see complete in a different translation. But they use this word not just to talk about like a goal, like we tend to think of goals, but they use it to talk about like completion or wholeness. It's about moving toward wholeness. What does it look like then, right? Not just for the church to know its goal or to have a vision for where it's headed, but what does it look like for wholeness in the church, right? What does it look like for the church to be made whole, to be what God intended for it to be? How do we find wholeness as the church? How is the church made complete? This is what Paul is looking for. This is what Paul is striving for. That's what we as the church are invited into is this wholeness, this fullness, this thing that God always intended for his people. That's what Paul is longing for, calling us into. Now he begins the passage that we're in today by acknowledging that he is suffering. Paul's been through a lot. Paul is suffering. He's going through really painful things. But for some reason, Paul sees his suffering as worth it. Paul recognizes he's been through all kinds of painful things. But somehow it, it's all worth it. And that's important for us, right? Because I think the reality is, just like, like Paul, I, I don't know that any of us would claim to have suffered like Paul is, but I think any believer in your experience in the church can suffer. As a believer, you can, you can suffer, but particularly in the church. I think this is one of the things that we wrestle with in the church. It's inevitably, you're going to have painful experiences in the church. You're going to see failures in the life of people you really trusted. You're going to see things break down. You're going to see brokenness on display in the church. And I think there are many times where we as a generation are not so sure it's, it's still worth it. Why? should I seek Jesus in a community that is so thoroughly broken? It is so thoroughly painful. Is it actually worth it? And Paul thinks it's, it's worth it. Paul is, is captivated by the church. Paul delights in the church. And that's because he sees the church as more than just a network. He sees the church as more than just a group of friends who like each other and share interests he sees the church as more than just a community of, of broken individuals who are becoming something beautiful together, right? It's more than that. Paul says in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, here in Colossians 1, he says the church is the very body of Christ. The church is Christ's mystical body in this world. See, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is what we believe. And yet somehow, mysteriously, he is still active in this world through his church. The church is his body. His spirit is at work in this body. And thus the church is the body of Christ. And Paul sees that his role within the body of Christ, within the church, is to present the word of God. This is his desire, to present the word to the church. And so here's what we have, the way Paul is laying it out for us. You have the body of Christ, and at the center of the body of Christ is the word of God. 
revealed to us in Jesus. At the center of the body of Christ is that word which Christ has revealed to us. And this is what we were talking about last week. How important Scripture is. How paramount Scripture is in the life of the church. How it defines who we are as the church. How we're under its authority and we've chosen willingly to live under its authority. But Paul is saying something even more profound than that. Paul is is taking things a step further than that. It's not just that that Scripture is important to us, that the Bible is is sacred to us. It's not just that like this is our sacred text and this is what we're offering to people. This is how we teach people. It's more than that. If you remember, John's gospel begins in kind of an interesting way. Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, they do their own thing, but John begins his gospel in a very particular way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In Greek, the logos, right? And he identifies Jesus as that word. And he says in verse 14 of that first chapter, he says that the word was made flesh. The word took on flesh and and dwelled with us. If you read Hebrews uh, chapter 1, it begins with something like, Long ago, God spoke to his people in many and various ways through the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son. So what both John and the author of Hebrews are are, are trying to communicate to us is this. God has been speaking for generations, right? Making himself known. He has always desired to make himself known. He's always spoken. But in Jesus, God decided to speak definitively, perfectly, completely, so there might be no further misunderstanding who he is. Jesus is God's word spoken to his people. Jesus is the word of God incarnate, we say. Jesus is the word in human flesh. And knowing that, Paul tells these Colossian believers that they are a part of Christ's body. They're a part of the church and mystically his body. And just like we believe the word was in Christ, the word remains at the center of the body of Christ, the church. Catch that. Like like Paul is trying to communicate something to us. It's really important, right? Just like Jesus was the Word incarnate, if the church is His body, then the church is to become Word incarnate. The Scripture is to get in us. The church is meant to be the Word in flesh. The Word lived in this way. Scripture is not just a book we read from. It's not just a collection of nice stories to make us feel better about our lives when things go wrong. The church is called to embody this book, to live this book, to embody the word. The church is meant to demonstrate the truth of Jesus' gospel and the reality of the kingdom of God, not just by words on a page, not just by pointing out where it is. No. We're meant to to live this, like words inscribed on the very fabric of our lives, not just on a page somewhere. That we're referencing. This is more than that. It's like Jeremiah, if you remember. This is the thing Jeremiah was holding out for, that he was longing for. God had promised something to him. Jeremiah 31, he makes this incredible promise. 
This is the covenant I will make with them, God says. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The words won't remain just on scrolls. They'll be in them. These people will be so deeply connected to it. It'll be in them. They can't forget it then. Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise, right? The word is in him. He is the word in flesh. And now the church, as his body, is called to have this new covenant written on us. In us. The story is meant to be told, not just on a page, but in us, right? It becomes our story and not just something that's on a page that we're referencing and looking back to. Paul says, the heart of the word is this mystery. And the mystery revealed to us, he says, is nothing short of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the message that, that Paul is saying he feels like he's supposed to proclaim, right? It's not somehow external to us. The gospel is not external to us. The word is not external to us. It's in us. Christ in us. And that means that the church is, is not just a messenger. Right? Obviously, we proclaim the gospel, but we're not just a messenger of this gospel, right? The mystery is that by Christ in me, in you, by his very spirit filling us, we're not just messenger. We are the message in human flesh. And we all know this, right? Whatever you're seeing in scripture, it can be profound, but it's so much more profound when you're seeing it lived when you're seeing it bear fruit in a human life. And this is what Paul is moving us toward. You are messenger and message. You're meant to incarnate the word. To bear witness to the kingdom of God and to who Jesus is. It's, it's more than just some statement you might make. Some creative way you might tell someone. No, it's more than just that. It is that and more. We're not just telling the story. We're meant to live the story. This is what Paul is getting at. The story is in us and it continues to produce something in us, right? That's what's happening. This is how we bear witness with our words, but with our work, right? With our words, yes, but, but with our worship, right? These things are meant to reveal who Jesus is, right? With our words, yes, but... Our words must become flesh, even as they did in Jesus. If we are truly the body of Christ, these words we proclaim, this truth, it must become more than just facts we are stating. It must become flesh. Our lives are to be so thoroughly reoriented, right? So utterly rearranged that those who once misunderstood all of these things we were saying begin to realize as they look into our lives that it is the only thing that could make sense. It never made sense until you see it lived. And that's something we have to kind of accept, right? There's something we've got to come to grips with. You've lived in a Christian culture for so long that you think the things that you claim you believe sound reasonable. But they don't. Like, sit down and talk with somebody who believes something else, right? 
and tell them that you believe Jesus rose from the dead. Tell them you believe he, he ascended into heaven and is seated at God's right hand, that somehow you are animated, filled by his spirit. And I think if you're honest, you'll begin to realize like that what they're saying about whatever UFO that is coming for them, whatever... Um, plane of existence they're, they're moving toward, whatever level of enlightenment they're moving toward, it won't sound so unreasonable. You begin to realize what we're saying sounds just as absurd, right? But when it's lived, when the word begins to take on flesh, when the thing you claim you believe begins to take on flesh and somebody sees it at work in you, they begin to realize it is the only thing that can make sense. If that does not make sense, then nothing can make sense. This is what makes the message of the kingdom so profound. Jesus chose to live it. He put flesh on it. In a world that is, that is oriented around success and prosperity and ease, we have a different goal, right? Our telos has been recalculated. We function differently. We're making Jesus known, right? Glorifying Him and not just self. Because it's so easy to go through life just being proud of ourselves and what we've accomplished and trying to amass more for me, right? But we're choosing to, to glorify Jesus. We have a different telos, but not just a different telos, a, a whole different way of approaching that end, that goal, right? When we start talking about vision and goals, we have all these interesting ways of talking about them, all these interesting ways of, of measuring them. You don't measure witness the same way you measure these other things, right? You can't measure witness according to the same parameters that you measure revenues. But the church has often tried to because it's easier that way, right? You can't measure witness according to some number on a page. This is flesh and blood, not some number to be computed, but sometimes it's easier to try and understand these things in the same sort of way. But Jesus, Jesus tells us the whole point of what we're doing, right? The purpose is to bear witness. That's why at Mosaic, we've said for years, the church exists for one thing, witness. Witness is why we exist. It is our whole purpose. Jesus tells us to bear witness, to make disciples. Not programs, right? But it's easier to make programs. It's easier to build churches around these same sort of things that we see in our culture, right? Take the things we learn in business and apply them to Jesus, right? But it's much simpler than that, Paul is saying. Proclaim the gospel, right? And put flesh on it. Speak the gospel, make it known, but put flesh on it. That's where it really begins to make sense. The church has its own unique telos, its own way of pursuing it as well. And it becomes really, really important that we don't get bogged down in this tendency to, to talk about vision in the way that you would see in, you know, whatever business whatever startup. We talk about goals a lot of times in a way that Scripture doesn't. We talk about telos a lot of times in the church. When we talk about doing a vision series, people know exactly where you're going, right? Each church has their own little spiel they're going to give you. 
And they want you to kind of get on board. And it's easy sometimes for it just to sound like every other spiel you've ever heard. From whatever other nonprofit you've ever listened to, whatever other business you've ever worked for, it starts to sound all the same, right? But Scripture is talking about telos in a different way. Paul says his concern is to present all these believers as teleon, right? Just another way of saying telos. Same word. To present them as mature. To present them as whole. To present them as complete. The thing Paul is striving for is wholeness. For that which is broken to be made whole, right? Wholeness in these individual lives. Wholeness in the church This is his desire, that they would be made whole. But Paul is aware. Here's the thing. Paul knows the experience you and I know of brokenness. Paul knows that the church is messy. He's lived it. That's why he's writing most of these letters, right? Paul realizes this, that the notion of completion or or wholeness the idea of a goal that we're working toward, he realizes we're not going to get there. That goal of becoming incarnate word, becoming a living sacrifice, as he says in Romans 12, a living act of worship. Like that's not a thing you're going to arrive at until God is truly finished with the work, right? It's not a work that we're doing of our own volition. It is a thing that God himself is doing. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens even over the course of our lives. It's not finished until God is is finished with it. And that's why Paul will use this word, telos. In a lot of of, of scenarios, we don't necessarily realize he's using it. You've been to weddings. You've heard 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe you don't hear this part as often. Paul says there, For we know in part, and we prophesy, in part, right? This is the experience of the church. We know in part. We see in part. We see glimpses, right? But he says, when completeness comes, when telos comes, what is in part disappears. Paul is saying, I know it seems like you're only getting a glimpse of this thing. But wholeness is coming. Completeness is coming. For now, he says, we see as in a mirror dimly. But then we shall see face to face. See, when Paul thinks of telos, he's not just thinking about the goal. He's not talking about your, your, your five-year plan. When Paul thinks of our ultimate purpose as the people of God, He thinks about God's ultimate purpose in this world and how we fit into it. What does God tell us and how do I fit into that thing, that purpose that God is working toward? Tell us is not the kind of goal that you make, that you put on some checklist and next month you'll be able to mark it off. It's not some box you can tick and move on. It's something we're constantly giving ourselves toward moving toward wholeness, moving toward this purpose that God has has fashioned us for as his people. He says something similar in Philippians 1. You might know this passage as well. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
He who began a good work in you will carry it on to telos. Until the day of Christ Jesus, he says. When Paul talks about vision, when he talks about purpose, or the end that we are working toward as as God's people, right? He cannot help but remember this larger thing that God is doing in this world he created, right? Our telos is connected to that telos. The end I'm moving toward is the end that God is moving toward, right? Wholeness. I'm moving toward that. That's our desire, to find wholeness. I find it on an individual level in community. but We find it together at this much larger level in God's purpose, right? Like we want to tie our purpose to that. Because here's the thing. Here's what Paul knows and what the church needs to know, what you and I need to know. There is a wholeness beyond our present brokenness. There is wholeness beyond our present brokenness. We find ourselves so many times where we're hearing these things about the church, right? It's easy for the the, the guy who preaches to stand at the front and talk about these things, pontificate about the church and make it sound really beautiful, but we all know the reality is it's a mess, right? And you hear these kinds of things about the church, what God is doing in it how glorious it is. And you might find yourself, if you're honest, you might find yourself preoccupied with all that is wrong with the church. Maybe what you see is wrong with the church more than anything. Maybe you're preoccupied with what's wrong with you. Like you hear this grand, glorious vision of the church and what it's supposed to be, this purpose that we're moving toward of wholeness, and you couldn't feel any more broken. And maybe you find yourself preoccupied with all that's wrong with the church, with yourself, You may have become so intimately aware of your own brokenness, so fixated on the church's brokenness. You may feel so constantly surrounded by the brokenness of our society that it begins to feel suffocating sometimes. It's like Paul is saying, open your lungs and breathe this in. God is not just moving you as an individual toward your purpose. God is not just moving the church toward a purpose, toward an end that is beautiful. God is moving all of creation toward a purpose, right? This is the thing. God is moving all of creation to wholeness. He's moving the church to wholeness. He's moving you to wholeness. There is a wholeness beyond our present brokenness. But we are so often preoccupied with the brokenness. It seems to nullify every promise we hear about the church or about faith. And Paul is saying there's this wholeness that we're all moving toward, that Jesus desires for his people. This is the end we're moving toward. In community, we find wholeness. This is the thing you've been longing for your entire life and you didn't know how to put words on it. Every experience you ever have is tainted, it seems like, by this. Every gift you've ever received, every incredible experience, every, everything you ever accomplished, it's somehow tainted by this sense that it's not everything you wish it was. You're not everything you wish you were. You're longing to be whole. And Paul is saying, everything is moving toward that wholeness that you desire. Not just you, everything. And you are the smallest part of that. You're the smallest part of it. 
If God, the sense we get from Paul, is if God is going to bring all of creation, all of his good world to wholeness, if he's going to bring the whole of the church to wholeness, then surely he can bring you to wholeness. This is what he's saying. That's what he's striving for. That's what Paul says he's willing to suffer for. And I think more and more, if, if we'll listen, we ourselves might be willing to suffer for it too. We might begin to strive for it in a different kind of way. But it's easy for the church to be overwhelmed by the full breadth of what God is calling us to do. And it's easier in those moments to, you know, give ourselves to a smaller vision, right? It's easier to kind of like tie ourselves to a smaller purpose, a smaller goal, one that is more realistic, one that is more reasonable, more manageable, right? This feels just a little too big picture, And sometimes that means the church, or even ourselves, right? We derive different goals altogether from what God is moving toward. Our purpose is something else. Like we choose this sort of tangential purpose in life. The church very often has chosen, you know, money. Like, and, and, and in the minds of so many people in the church, the idea is like, if we had more money, like what could we do if we had more money, right? Or the church has become preoccupied. The, the, the vision is... is more people, right? If we had more people, look what we could do if we had more people, right? We become obsessed with these things. And so you, you see it all the time, right? People who settle for something smaller, right? Bigger buildings, bigger budgets, more programs, more equipped ministries doing more stuff. And that's what it comes down to. Our vision of the kingdom, our vision for the church so often becomes just more stuff. If we have more stuff, we'd do better. Because it's easy to just settle for something less than the wholeness that we're being invited into, than the completion, than God finishing that work in us that he began. It's easier to give ourselves to something less. And here's the thing, right? If God was asking us to finish the work, then maybe that is the means by which we would do all these things, right? Maybe it would look just like whatever business you work for. Maybe we would employ, you know, the best sort of strategies we can come up with. But we're not the ones that are finishing the work, Paul says. Whenever we're thinking about our purpose, whatever we're trying to cast vision for what it looks like for us as a, a community of followers of Jesus, it can never get too far from the purpose that God has for all of creation, for his church. One of my favorite things I heard years ago uh, was a church planner. Uh, he planted a, an Anglican church, actually, in Washington, D.C. And Dan made this statement. He said, I get so frustrated with churches that just have to have a vision statement. They've all got to have a mission statement. And most of the time, they all sound identical, right? It's like they all got a thesaurus, and they tried to find a slightly different way of saying the exact same thing. But they need to have a vision statement because, you know, that's what we do culturally. We need a vision statement doesn't mean like we don't have any of these things that state how we believe, what we believe as a church. We have those things. But Dan makes this statement. He's like, he's so frustrated with vision statements. He says, here's my vision statement. The New Jerusalem. Revelation 21. This is the thing we're moving toward. New Jerusalem. This is the thing you're actually longing for. Wholeness. God dwelling with his people. That's what you're longing for. And it's what you're experiencing at some level. That's what we're experiencing in the church. 
We, filled with the Spirit of God together, becoming more like Jesus, right? But we know there is a wholeness beyond that shred of wholeness that we're experiencing now. There's a wholeness beyond the, the present brokenness that we've lived through. And our desire, our goal, the end that we're moving toward can never stray too far from that. Our desire must be to, to put flesh on the kingdom of God that we're proclaiming, right? Until he comes. This is what vision looks like for us. And as the band comes and, and we move toward the table, I think the question we need to kind of like ask ourselves really is like, Paul says this is the thing he's striving for. This is the thing he's contending for. This is the thing he's suffering for. Like, what are you suffering for? What are you contending for? What are you wrestling with? And will it ever make you whole? What are you striving after? And can it actually make you whole? You've been promised a lot of things. You've been offered a lot of visions, a lot of opportunities, a lot of possibilities. But can they actually make you whole? And Paul is saying, the church is where we're being made whole. What are you striving for? What are you contending for? Is it that purpose that God is working in his good world? Are you moving toward it? Or something less. Because there's a wholeness beyond the brokenness you've known. Whatever goal you've got for your life, it can't ever depart from this. Whatever work you set your hands to, whatever you create with your life, it must bear witness to this kingdom and to this Jesus. What are you contending for? As you come to the table, consider it. Like, like, what are you really wrestling for? What are you really passionate about? What are you giving yourself to? And can it make you whole? Paul believes that we, together as community, following Jesus' disciples, we will find wholeness. God is moving us to wholeness. All of creation is moving to wholeness. Are we actually following him, though? Like, attach your vision, attach your telos. Like, I, I felt this conviction, this sense, like, it is so easy to just kind of, like, blend in and to say the same thing that everybody else is saying. But this has to be our vision. This has to be the thing we're striving for. That purpose that God has been working in his good world from the beginning. The thing that he made his people for, that he's longing for us to come back to, from brokenness to wholeness. Let's pray. Father, I pray as, as we come to your table this morning, we would experience um, just a, a satisfaction that is deeper than um, yeah, that which the world can offer us. I pray we'd find ourselves um, beginning to realize as nonsensical as these things we believe seem to be, if this thing that Jesus has done and is doing in us, if it doesn't make sense, then nothing makes sense. And God, as we come and we partake of the, the body and blood of your Son, would you transform us, God? Transform our vision, Lord, the things that we're, we're striving for. We pray in Jesus' name. 
you guys feel free uh, in these moments. They're going to play music, and you can come down, tear off a piece of bread, grab a cup, um, and then uh, I'll come back up as they finish the song and, and lead us through, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll do this together. We'll confess our sins, and uh, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it today. Um, but yeah, feel free as they play to come on. <laughs> 